from the Auto Line Studios. Here is your host, John McElroy. I want to thank you for joining us on Auto Line this week, where the discussion today is going to be all about what's the best truck that's just come out. I'm on the North American Car and Truck of the Year Award. There's about 48 of us jurors from the United States and Canada, and I've invited two of my fellow jurors to join me today to pick out what's the best truck or utility. And joining us for today's show are Chris Pockert from Autoblog and Jack Narad from Kelly Blue Book, and great having the both of you here. Great to be here, thank you. Jack, let's start with you. Uh, we started with a big list of vehicles to try to get it narrowed down to a somewhat more manageable list and then down to the three right. finals. Right, big list and they're not all traditional trucks, right? I mean, you have the pickup trucks, but then you have all these sport utilities, crossovers, a lot of car-based vehicles as well. And so you have apples, oranges, bananas, rutabagas. You have a whole combination of stuff, which makes the discussion even more complicated in a lot of ways. What's your thought on that, Chris? Well, I think one of the really interesting trends that we've seen this year is that um, we've been talking all about alternative fuels. And we've been talking about hybrids and electrics all the time. And what's on the list? It's just good old-fashioned gasoline internal combustion cars, and it really shows um, just the quality of the development uh, in terms of the technologies um, and what you were talking about with the diversity of different model types um, and even within categories that people aren't taking the same approach. It's really fascinating. Well, you know, the gasoline engines today with the multi-speed transmission, much more multi-speed transmissions, you're getting pretty good fuel economy. I'll bet in a couple of years' time we are talking about hybrids, electrics, and definitely diesels in this segment as well. We're going to see electrification, there's no doubt about it, especially on the truck side, because trucks have to have the utility to them, right? And at the same time, they have to meet these uh, fuel economy goals that we're going to see. So there's going to be a lot of that, we think. Well, let's start out with uh, some of the vehicles that are have made it to the finalists. And I guess I should tell the audience right now that it, out of this big list that we then whittled down to about a dozen or so vehicles, we voted on that and came up with the three finalists, which are the Acura MDX, the Chevrolet Silverado, and the Jeep Cherokee. Well, Jack, let's start with the traditional... Presented in alphabetical order, I might add, right? <laughs> I mean, that's how you did it. I mean, you can see the diversity just from those three finalists. I mean, they are not comparable vehicles at all. You have a luxury uh, crossover, you know, based largely on a minivan chassis. And then you have a traditional pickup truck from a domestic manufacturer, nothing more traditionally American than that with a big V8 engine, among other things. And then you have the Jeep Cherokee, a proud name with basically an Italian-American body underneath and, and totally different than the previous Cherokee. So you have this wide range of things that we've got to choose from and, and, and make a decision which of these is the best. So, Chris, let's start with the Chevy Silverado, since that is the most traditional kind of truck. What do you think? Absolutely. I mean, it's a wonderful truck. I think they've really moved the bar in terms of refinement, um, not just in terms of the cabin, but in terms of noise, vibration, and harshness. And there's a huge bandwidth um, with that truck. I mean, you could really get a simple 4x2 work truck, uh, and then you can get the full-on high country loaded bells and whistles. And it's a, it's a big luxury, you know, Cadillac of a, of a truck. Um, they've got a wonderful new small block. Um, and it's a, it's a really fantastic truck. My contention, however, with that truck is that, you know, there are some other really great entries in that segment that are more innovative. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see how much the rest of the jury prizes innovation. Mm-hmm. Jack, what's some of your thoughts on the Silverado? I think the Silverado is a terrific vehicle. And I think, you know, just seeing the list early on, it was my odds-on favorite to win. 
uh, just based on what I know about the industry and how important the, the pickup truck segment is and the full-size pickup truck segment is. Because I, I certainly figure that into the equation, and I think a lot of the jurors do. How important is the segment? But I would agree with Chris that maybe there isn't the innovation that you see with, say, the Cherokee uh, that is taking something, a, a very proud name, and really turning it on its head, but providing something to the marketplace that a lot of people are seeming to gravitate to right away. But does the innovation matter so much to the customer? Because to your point, Chris, what I love about the Silverado is, man, that thing is quiet. It's smooth. You know, whether you're flooring it, whether you're hauling a load, whether you're going over bumpy roads, that truck is really well put together. I think it depends on the innovation. Um, I think everyday customers prize certain things. A lot of the developments we've seen in terms of infotainment, people are really hot to trot on. Even when it's not done terribly well, we see that it, it just you know, ramps up sales, and it's, it's one of the key things that people look for. So I think innovation can matter. Now, the question to me is, um, you know, with the innovations that the Silverado has, there's some everyday little things that are smart touches, things like the step bumper. Um, there's a little notch in the corner of the bumper, and uh, you can get in and your loads in and out a lot easier. Smart, simple thing. Um, but in terms of, you know, powertrains, we're still dealing with a six-speed automatic. We don't have um, a diesel, uh, you know, we don't have a coil spring rear suspension. And so, uh, you know, I, I look at that and it's, it's a really fantastic truck and not to take away anything that they've done. Um, but to me, it's, it, it's kind of on par with the Ram. One thing that I found interesting, though, is the, the Ram has fuel economy leadership with the V6 engine. But this new Chevy truck has fuel economy leadership with the V8 engine. So it all depends on what you want. Do you want the ultimate in fuel economy? Maybe you should go with the Ram. But if you need a V8 for towing or hauling or whatever it is, you're probably going to get better fuel economy with the and Chevy. And I would say, too, John, if there is any segment in the marketplace that uh, maybe undervalues innovation, it's the full-size pickup truck market. That is a conventional, conventional market. Uh, very, very brand loyal. And I think... Chevy has really, and Chevy and General Motors, have hit it spot on with what that customer wants. You know, they are hitting the fuel economy targets with the right engines. Um, this is a very, very traditional play for them, and I think it's going to work for them in the market. I think, you know, going to your point, Chris, that, that notch in the bumper where you can stick your foot in, and to me, that's innovative. That's very clever. And you know what? It costs next to nothing to do. The other thing is they have a dampening effect to the tailgate. So when you drop the thing, it just doesn't slam down. Yeah. Kill your no. five-year-old, boom, yeah. you know. It's like, oh, wow, that's, that's a it shame. It comes down so <laughs> nice and easy, and it's kind of balanced. So pushing it back up is not, you know, like lifting weights at all. So I, I think there is some innovation, maybe not as, you know, uh, coming out of the, the R&D lab kind of innovation. It's just some clever application. It's a completely new powertrain, you know, massive, massive innovation. But I think those little nuances throughout, throughout the industry, sure. that's we're seeing incremental gains. That's, that's what's really important these days. Well, and a lot of those things make the change. big difference to the owner. Absolutely. So, yeah, absolutely. The, the six-speed is a good criticism of, a, and I'm not making excuses for, for GM, but this is one of the lingering effects of the bankruptcy. You know, an eight-speed automatic is coming. They're, they're deep into the development of it. It's just that uh, the full-size trucks and sport utilities were the last thing that GM got to. Why? Because they were selling decently. They make a bunch of money on them. They knew they had a bunch of other problems to fix first. And so I, it's a legitimate criticism, but I think we'll see an eight-speed in there uh, before too long. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, uh, let's turn to uh, Jack. You were raving about the Jeep Cherokee there. Well, I think many of us were skeptical about Jeep Cherokee to begin with, right? I mean, here's a proud name. Certainly, I had probably said that two or three times already on the show. But a name with a, a lot of attachments to it. Uh, and Jeep adherents loved the Cherokee, the simpleness of it. Uh, and this is not that. In, in a bunch of different ways. It's not that from a styling point of view. It's not that from a platform point of view. Uh, there is a lot of fiat in the new Jeep Cherokee, and I think a lot of people were skeptical about that. Once I drove the thing, and I drove it in Moab, Utah, you know, upgrades like this and downgrades like this and, you know, stuff that's stupendous, uh, you know, that most people would look at it and go, no way. Uh, I was sold. I, I think they've done a remarkably good job of making it a real Jeep, and at the same time hitting that compact sport utility, that compact crossover segment that is so hot, you know, one of the hottest, if not the hottest segments in the market. Uh, they've hit it with the Jeep brand in the right way, and I think all that Cherokee heritage doesn't mean anything to that new buyer, and I, I think they're spot on with this thing. Your thoughts, Chris? Uh, well, I'll tell you what, initial impressions um, before we actually got in to drive the car weren't that strong for me. Um, Jeep put on a brave face quite literally, and I wasn't really sold with the way it looked. It, um, but I was really intrigued by some of the technology that was in it. And, uh, you know, what you pointed out with the, it's a whole reconstitution of what a Cherokee is. Um, but then you get in and drive the vehicle. And it does everything well that crossovers do. I mean, it's easy to drive. It's easy to park. Um, you know, things are logically arrayed inside. It's got class-leading tech with the Uconnect and, and all of that. But it offers, you know, this degree of off-roadability that you just don't have in anything else in the segment without really a fuel economy penalty. Um, it has bold styling in a way that, you know, this segment is mushrooming, but it's rapidly mushrooming toward the same. So you've got a lot of vehicles that you could park alongside each other in the segment, and they all kind of look the same, whether it's, you know, you're getting the Escape or the CX-5 or, or what have you. And this is really very different. Um, and it restores uh, a bit of uh, masculinity and testosterone to a segment that's really kind of going to the tall hatchback look. Um, and I think they're to be commended for that. Um, if you want, we were talking about innovation before. I think there's more innovation in this than there is in the other vehicles that we're looking at for the winter. Yeah, when I first saw the pictures of the Cherokee, it was like, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. What did they do? What were they thinking? Well, I don't know that I associate testosterone with the Cherokee <laughs> either right Maybe now. Right but, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. Yeah. but I got to tell you, uh, I then saw a version of it that did not have the chrome around the slots in the grill, which toned it down a bit. And I thought, okay, that, that's not too bad. And then I saw it out in traffic with other vehicles, and I was like, you know, that, this design's starting to grow on me. But to both of your points, the proof in the pudding is in the driving, and this is one of those 100-yard vehicles. For me, it was that, you know, you drive 100 yards and you go, wow, this is a good vehicle. And what I'm impressed by is they took this very seriously in terms of true Jeep capability. So they put the little badge that says trail rated on it. But to your point, Jack, you took it out at Moab and right. this thing can go anywhere. And they put three different all-wheel drive system or offer three different all-wheel drive. That is drive. such a good point because it would have been easy for them not to do that, to just offer the one all-wheel drive system and have it kind of be okay 
you know, as most of those are in that segment, it has an all-wheel drive thing, and you can kind of go through snow and on dirt roads and think, oh, I'm off-roading here when you're really not. But this is really a Jeep. It has those Jeep capabilities and has, you know, various flavors that you can choose uh, to, to dial it in the way you want to dial it in. And there's also a front-wheel drive version. There is. And <laughs> what I love about these all-wheel drive, uh, uh, the top-line one disconnects everything. If you're just going in a straight line down the highway, you don't need the all-wheel drive. It disconnects the, the drive shaft uh, to the rear, so you don't have all that rotating mass, which turns into right. fuel economy savings. And yet the instant you tip into it, it will put the torque exactly where it's needed. In fact, I want to say it's some, you, you can put 60% of the torque to the rear wheels in certain drive situations. The point being is that they took it very seriously, and, and I really like that aspect of it. Well, and I think it's, it's wonderful that the capability is there if you want it. If you want to spend the extra money for the Trailhawk or even get the middle grade, you know, you're still going to get some really serious off-road capability. But I don't really view it as being a penalty. If you just get a base model, you know, you don't, you're not carrying around all that extra weight. You're not really um, getting diminished fuel economy. It's quiet. It's refined. Even, even on the Trailhawk, I was stunned by how little road noise there was from those big tires. Um, and, and I think the market's responding. I mean, they, their first full month on sales, they did, what, 10,000 units? 10,000 units. And they're expecting more this month in December. Um, and that says that people aren't put off by the looks, at least in the early going. And um, I, I think it's a really tremendous package. Will the public really warm up to it? Yeah, the, the, you know, they were out of production for a long time, so bang, you know, the, the dam burst open. Can they maintain that? I think they can. I think the Jeep brand is such a strong brand. I mean, when Fiat went about acquiring Chrysler, I think what, what they really saw there was this Jeep brand has transcended several car companies already, and it has worldwide reach. And there are very few brands that really have that. And that can be exploited not just here, but overseas. We're going to see smaller Jeeps in Europe, for example, smaller Jeeps in other markets. So I think it will both resonate here and also resonate elsewhere. Good. Let's go to the next finalist, the third finalist, the Acura MDX. Chris, your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, it's Acura's bread and butter. It's what they do well. It's, uh, you know, it's a high margin product and it's really well done. Um, I, I don't look at this segment, you know, the, the three-row luxury crossover is anything where I go, uh, you know, I'm really emotionally attached to this product. I mean, we've got a new X5 that was also in the running, and it's a great vehicle. But this vehicle does so much so well across the board. It's just sort of seamless, um, and it's priced well. Uh, it comes with a lot of technology right from the get-go. And if, if you are to go to something like the X5, you pay a lot more than you would by the time you option up to a comparable level. Um, it's, it's a great vehicle. I would say the same thing. I mean, this really is the franchise. This is the franchise for Acura. This kind of carries that brand. And uh, because of that, they paid a lot of attention to it, but it also hasn't jumped away from where, what it was. I think of a lot of people looked at it and they go, is it really new? Uh, you know, there is that kind of carryover to the styling. It is all new. Uh, if you put them side to side, you can tell, but it hasn't made a big leap. And it's one of those vehicles, I think, that it was smart of the manufacturer not to make big leaps because they are so successful in that segment. But at the same time, if you're looking for an of the year, I, I kind of wonder about that. It, you know, is, is it reach out enough to get that of the year tag? I completely agree with uh, what you're saying about the styling. Uh, I've never been a big fan of Acura styling. It's gotten better, definitely, in the last year or two. But to your point... Uh, a lot of people will not 
see this going by on the street and recognize it as the new MDX. On the other hand, what I love about the vehicle is the way it rides. Uh, I'm fond of saying that, to me, this vehicle rides like a big American sedan of the 1960s or 70s road. It's great for just going straight down the road, and I think that speaks to their customer. Well, and I would say, too, not only does it feel good doing that, it has that luxurious ride, but it handles in a way much better than any sedan of the American sedan of the 70s or 80s or 90s handled. It, it's a remarkably good handling vehicle you know, that kind of transcends type. You don't think of a three-row luxury thing as something that's really fun to drive, but the MDX is a lot of fun to drive. Yeah, it's got that trick torque vectoring all-wheel drive that really just, you know, to pull the back end around when you want it to, and it, it does. It handles very well. The only thing I, I didn't like is uh, if, if you go back four or five years ago, I thought Acura had the best connectivity. If you had to put an address in the nav system or go search through media for a song that you wanted, I thought they had the best. Not anymore, I don't. I, I, I would have hoped that they would have kept that leadership role. I, I find it not as intuitive as the older system. You're seeing differences in philosophy, I think, between manufacturers now. And I don't know that Honda Acura are going in the philosophy that's most user-friendly, especially in a moving vehicle. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that has to be factored in. It's different than using, say, a smartphone when you're standing still, right? I mean, something else is going on. You need uh, bigger buttons. Maybe you need dedicated buttons as opposed to touch screens because as you go to touch something, up oh, you bumped and you're, you're touching something you didn't think you were touching because you went over a, you know, a crack in the pavement or something. So it's, it's a different kind of thing, I think. Yeah, and, and just to share with the readership, Jack mentioned touch screens, and that's correct. There are actually two of them, uh, which is an unusual setup. Infinity has gone in that direction as well. Um, and we've seen touchscreens done well before, individual ones, but I think the way they sort of sort information between the two screens and the way they interplay is not as clean as you probably want it to be. Um, and they've reduced some of the hard button count. Um, and, and to your point, I do think that the older system was a little bit more intuitive, certainly not as powerful, maybe not as splashy and you know, sexy to look at, but it, it's, it's really about how it works every day. And I'm not convinced with that system. Yeah. Okay, so the finalists were the Acura MDX, the Jeep Cherokee, the Chevy Silverado, uh, another vehicle that may have been cheated out of a third finalist position was the, the GMC Sierra, which is a kissing cousin to the Chevy Silverado. Well, I mean, it's, I think that's one of those interesting sort of politics of, of jury um, decisions that we make. Um, I think people look at it as, well, the Silverado is the volume play. It's going to sell more. It's, it's probably the thing that comes first to mind for, for a new pickup for General Motors. So if you like the package of this new full-size pickup, you're probably going to put points behind that. I like the styling of the GMC better than I do the styling of uh, the Chevrolet. Yeah, I think in my instance, uh, the volume trumped the styling changes, you know, the styling differences. You know, I think I'm with you, John, that I like it a little better. And that's kind of where they want to go with that brand, too. It makes sense that well, maybe that's a little cooler, a little you know, more exclusive, a little bolder sometimes. Uh, but I think as, you put, as I put my votes out, I had to go with the one that's going to do more volume. Just quick, uh, another vehicle that was on our, our short list but was not a finalist was the, the long wheelbase version of the Hyundai Santa Fe. Any thoughts on that? I think it's a, you know, I, I've driven both versions extensively. Uh, I think it's a wonderful package. It's very well thought out, easy to drive, comfortable, easy to park. Um, it, it's a smart family vehicle. I, I don't know that it moves the needle. 
Yeah, I think the Koreans are doing a really good job with their crossovers. I think the Kia Sorento is also a very, very good vehicle. I think uh, they are providing touches that you wouldn't necessarily expect. They're really upping the ante in terms of the equipment level for the money. So the value for money story is, is there and their quality story has gotten so much better. Well, and, and the other thing that they haven't really figured out until this point, until this last generation, has really been things like steering feel and suspension. Um, when the last generation uh, Sorento came out, the ride was terrible. And then they introduced these dual flow dampers um, only on the high end models and then they, they kind of filtered it through because it transformed the handling. And they, they've gotten much, much better about that. I, I guess the point is there's some really terrific vehicles out there. We're talking about the three best that made it to the end of the list. But as you guys know, we're also voting on car of the year and I want to get your thoughts on that. And so that the audience knows the finalists for the car of the year were the Chevrolet Corvette, the Cadillac CTS, and the Mazda 3. And Jack, I'll, I'll start with you. Well, the showy one, of course, is the Corvette, right? I mean, again, I, I, I talked earlier about the uh, Silverado being my odds-on favorite, just looking at the list going in. I think the Corvette absolutely was. I mean, Corvettes are showy. Those of us on the jury like to drive. That's why we do this for a living. And so that's a car that if you like to drive, you're going to love the Corvette. There's no doubt about that. But the other two are very, very strong contenders. And I think what might be uh, missed by some people is the amount of technology in the Mazda 3. They have done a kind of a ground-up reinvention of that segment vehicle, and it's really terrific in a lot of ways. That's what they've branded Sky Active, right. the, the, the whole ground-up approach to, to doing it. Uh, Chris, your thoughts on the three for car for other year finalists? I, I think it's a tremendous vehicle, um, and it's not Which one? It's the Mazda 3. Yeah. Uh, it, it's not even just the vehicle itself, but it's the philosophy that goes into how they designed it. It's the manufacturing process. They flipped everything on its head. Uh, I think it's the best driving car in the class, I think, and it's a really important class. Uh, it gets great fuel economy. They've democratized certain technologies, things like a head-up display, cornering headlamps. Um, and then they've got this IE loop system, this capacitor um, that, that helps uh, with energy storage. And then it's like a mild it hybrid. It is like a mild hybrid. And nobody else has done that before. Uh, and I think that's, that's really to be commended. And I can't really fault it. I mean, you, it gets up there in price when you load it full up to the gills. It can be a $30,000 car. But I think that's sort of where we're heading. Unfortunately, you're right. <laughs> yeah, the average car today is about thirty grand transaction price. So that's just amazing. Uh, thoughts on the, the CTS or Corvette? Uh, the Corvette is a remarkable vehicle. Um, we always talk about the value equation with a Corvette. And, and I, I think that's sort of played out, but it's so true with this vehicle. You know, you can get it um, with the Z51 performance package and still in the mid $50,000 range. And it, it drives beautifully. I mean, it's, it's a good all-year car. You, know, you put snow tires on it. You can go out and have a great amount of fun in it right now. Um, it, does, it has kind of the no apologies interior that it finally needed all this time. Um, I think the styling is still a little polarizing to me, but I think it's a, a remarkable car. And the CTS, the same thing. I mean, the, the Cadillac has the most distinctive brand styling of any, any you know, major automaker. Uh, and I think they've really done a beautiful job with that car. It's lighter. Um, that's one of the things that, really, that are really important that that car and the ATS before it are teaching General Motors is how to build light, lightweight cars. Um, and looking at some of its chief competitors, they kind of maybe have gotten a little bit lazy at, over at BMW and maybe to a lesser extent over at Audi. And uh, I think, you know, Cadillac is showing them a thing or two. GM and Cadillac in particular was never a benchmark that other luxury car companies benchmarked themselves against. Now, now I think it is. 
But now I want to put you on the spot. Of the three car finalists, Jack, which one do you think will make car of the year? I think it's going to be Corvette. I do. But I think Mazda 3 might sneak in there somehow. Mm-hmm. Chris, your thought? Uh, I think it actually mirrors Jack's beautifully. Um, I, I think I would like to honestly see the Mazda because I think it affects more people and I think it's a more total approach. Um, but the Corvette is incredibly hard to argue with. It's a brilliant vehicle. Yeah, uh, that's how I see it. I think uh, Corvette will win car of the year. Well, let's go back to trucks. And again, you know, the finalists, Acura MDX, Chevrolet Silverado, Jeep Cherokee. Chris, which one do you think is going to win the award? Uh, I think the Cherokee is going to surprise some people. Very interesting. Jack, what's your thought? You know, I think I've been convinced of that maybe in the last 24 hours or so, because (laughs) I don't see as much, and in talking to my fellow jurors, I haven't heard as much enthusiasm about the Silverado as I think I would have heard if it were to win. And I think I have heard that about the Cherokee. So that's kind of my pick. I, I think perception and expectations plays a big role. And so when I see the Chevrolet Silverado, I go, wow, this thing is fantastic. But I said that about the Dodge Ram last year. Wow, this is fantastic. And a few years before that, of the F-150. So to me, the Silverado, although it's an A-plus truck, doesn't necessarily stand up above the others. Whereas the Cherokee was a total surprise to me and and a delightful surprise to me. On the other hand, I thought the Acura MDX was the biggest surprise of all. But I have learned not to predict which one's going to win based on what I think. I sit back and try to say, what is the jury going to go for? And I think you guys may have convinced me the Cherokee is going to be it. And we're going to know fairly shortly which one the winner is going to be. That's going to be fascinating. I, I didn't think that the, the Cherokee really had a chance until I started doing everything back-to-back during our hell drive. And, watching, and we should explain yeah. for people to know, the jurors get together in hell, Michigan, and yeah. do back-to-back drives with all the vehicles. Absolutely, and I was watching the Cherokees go out the door like crazy, and uh, I think people are really interested in that vehicle. Yeah, just so people know why, what you meant by the hell drive. Yes, that's fair. It's actually a great yeah. drive. Heaven and hell. That's <laughs> yeah. the way I describe it. That's right. Well, I want to thank the both of you for coming in. I, I can't wait to see who the finalists or the winners are. We'll, we'll know that uh, the kickoff day for media days at uh, the Detroit Auto Show, which is just around the corner. So, uh, Chris Pockert from Autoblog, Jack Narad from Kelly Blue Book. Great having the both of you on. Really enjoyed the discussion with you. Thanks. Great to be here. Thanks so much. And I want to thank all of you for having tuned into AutoLine this week.